All right. All right, we say... Uh, we say good morning to you again. Good morning. And we uh, are here gathered the week after Resurrection Day. It's already been that time. And we are now starting a uh, a new book. And so, can't wait to get into that. It's going to be Second Timothy. And it's going to um, be today the, an introduction and the first five verses. And um, hopefully it will be very helpful to us. Uh, really encouraging as this whole uh, epistle is. The Word of God always is. But that would be saying um, God's will in it all. And so why don't we uh, go ahead and uh, let's stand. And let's take a reading of the first five verses here that we're in today. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of life in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience the way my forefathers did, as I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day, longing to see you even as I recall your tears so that I may be filled with joy. For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I'm sure that it is in you as well. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word, and we know that your word is always relevant and as we go through now another epistle pray our we pray that our hearts would be prepared that we'd be ready to hear you to hear your word and to realize the faithfulness of you and the ministry that you've given us all in using the gifts that we have to edify each one And so thank you, Lord, for this truth, and may we be able to put it into our lives this morning. In your Son's name, amen. Amen. And as we always do, we we do verse by verse, expository preaching. We don't just um, get up here, read a few verses, and then start telling stories and tell how good each one of us is and how you can get your banking account better and... Uh, the joke of the week, yeah. <laughs> how you can uh, live life better. All of that does come into play in God's Word, but the emphasis is on His truth. And so rather than letting me meander on and try and decide what is best for you, we let God's Word and His Holy Spirit speak and let that make an impact on each one of us because He's the one that knows how His Word can take effect. And that's how powerful it is. So I'm thankful for that. Uh, It is my duty now to uh, kind of expound on it and just to um, get us started um, using an illustration here of like a 5K race. Let's see, and there's some people in here that have run those 5Ks. I look at Julia, I look at Nondor, uh, I think Carmela. uh, I don't know, am I missing anybody else? Johnny is thinking about it one of these days. 
<laughs> but anyway, um, you can relate to this because sometimes you probably see some older people out there running. Older like my age. <laughs> Maybe even older. But whenever you see those guys... Honestly, let's say they're in their 60s, upper 60s maybe, those older guys. And as a matter of fact, they might even look older than, than 60s. They might look really old and you're wondering, my, that guy has gone through some hardship in his life. wonder what he's doing here. You know, is he going to make it? I, I feel for this guy because I'm afraid that he's going to drop somewhere along the race. And so this guy takes out with the rest of them. He's staying right in the middle of the pack, doing pretty good. Still doing good. And all of a sudden you get near the end of the race and he's up there at the front with a, with a maybe two or three in the pack. And you're wondering, he's going to drop any moment. And all of a sudden he starts pulling away from the rest of the runners. He's running hard and he keeps running. Hard. And you're going to say, as soon as he gets to the finish line, if he makes it, he's going to drop right there at the line. You know? And you know what? He finished the race. He won the race. And you're thinking, okay, now he's going to hit the deck. You know, he's going to be so totally done. No, you know what he does? He doesn't sit down. He starts going all the way back to where the race was being done and there was a younger man, late 20s, early 30s, who was really getting ready to poop out. And he runs up to him and he says, come on, you can do it. You can do it. You train for this. You're okay. You can make it. You can do it. Don't quit. Come on, keep doing it. He urges him on. You can do it. That really happened in a spiritual way. Because there was a guy by the name of Paul, the Apostle Paul, and he had a young man who he had influenced highly, and his name was Timothy. And Timothy was uh, maybe thinking about getting out of the race. Paul was just about to finish the race. Matter of fact, he even said, I have finished the course, I've fought the fight, I- I've kept the faith. Right? He finished well in his old age as he sprinted far ahead of all of those other ones. And he's saying, come on, Timothy, you can make it. Come on, you can finish it. Paul's second letter is really about what that is. And uh, we know his body marked them, uh, all of his sufferings. And you really look at that and you think about it. He had to look a lot older than the 60s with all the stuff that he went through. And when you think about it, you have to go back to what was happening in his life at that time when he wrote his swan song. 67 AD was about the time that he wrote this. Nero was, of course, the emperor of the empire. He was an insane madman. He torched the city of Rome, burned the city down. And then he blamed it on the Christians. 
And then, of course, you know what kind of animosity people had on the Christians when they found that out. It was really him that did it. But the believers were being chased all over the place. And especially about this, the greatest spokesman for the faith, they're after too. They want to put him in jail. They want to kill him too. Because anytime one speaks out like Paul, they are going to get in trouble. He's already proven that many times. The gospel, gospel will do those kind of things. I'd like to have better news and say everybody's going to accept it and everybody's going to do really fine and well and you're going to make a lot of money. You're going to do good in life now. Everything in your life is going to go smoothly because now you're a Christian and you know Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ cares so much about you that He wants everything in your life to be really rosy. But I don't see that in Scripture. I see in the Old Testament the prophets being slain for the Word of God. I see Jesus being killed on the cross. And then I see all the apostles being um, persecuted and martyred and killed for the faith because they preach the law, they preach sin, they preach how you can be saved from that. It's Jesus Christ alone. That's a pretty narrow message. That's That's the message that He kept carrying everywhere. And it's all because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ that we have the power to be able to live this life. And it's not negative because everything is all rosy as ahead of time. In the meantime, we have some real trials that we do go through, and he sure did. And I'll tell you what, what happened to him as he got into Rome uh, this, other, this last time that he was imprisoned. He was thrown into this hole. It's called the Mamertine Prison, and it's a dungeon in the ground. You can go there to Rome today and see this place. You can go upstairs and then look down into this now as they have it looking a little bit nicer than what it was then. But uh, it would would be like uh, a manhole, about the size of that, and then they would get them down into this hole in the ground where it was about maybe 30 feet wide and you'd have 25 to 30 uh, criminals in this hole in the ground. That's the kind of prison that we're talking about where Paul was put. This is the man of God and God allowed this to happen? What kind of God is that? I don't want that kind of God. Maybe Timothy might have been thinking about that. This is what I'm heading for? And everything that he did right and look where he's at? I don't understand this. This is truth, folks we could all make it sound a lot better than what it is and make us feel good and have all the fluff. And you know, I I can't help but think, but it makes me sad whenever I hear that message of the prosperity, health, wealth gospel and that's spread out all over the churches. I'm not even talking about one denomination or non-denomination. I'm talking about that is what they're going for because the people are dropping out because they don't want to hear bad news. They want to hear all the good news. Well, we have all the good news. But it does explain what's going on in our lives right now. So therefore, we have no other message. So whenever he is put in this ground, tell Paul that everything is going to be good here on earth. You're better life now. I want to tell you something even more about that kind of prison. As he was in there, they were waiting for their death. And what they had was the sewage of the city. It was the drainage system. It was the whole system of Rome, that huge city that was underground that ran right by it. And what they would do to kill them is open up the door that they had and allow that 
sewage to come into that hole with the 30 criminals in that particular little cell and it would drown them. What a way to go. Is that humiliating? Paul's in that. Is that how he died? No. They took Paul out before the sewage came. And they had one better. They're just going to lie him on a table and sever his head from his body. And that's how Paul died. Who preached the powerful gospel of Jesus Christ. That's Christianity? His ministry ended in a dark, stinking, damp, unsanitary pit. If he had stayed there much longer, he'd just died right there because it, it, it was, nobody could live in that. But he was in prison in Jerusalem. He'd been put, he put in prison in Caesarea. He was prison in Philippi. He's been prison in Rome before. He's been in prison just all over the place. And now we can say he has to be discouraged. In one fifteen of this Second Timothy, he writes, "All who are in Asia turned away from me." Asia. We've been in the book of Acts, folks, on our Tuesday night Bible study. I'll get that in. We're not Wednesday right now. We don't know how long, but we're in Tuesday nights right for the moment. And in there, in the book of Acts, we've seen what Asia was about. And you think of Ephesus and the great churches that, that came in that area. And he says, they turned away from me. In 4.10, he mentions Demas, whom he had formerly called a fellow worker in Philemon 24. He deserted Paul, having loved this present world. Chapter 4.14, he warns Timothy about Alexander the coppersmith who did Paul much harm. This is all out of 2 Timothy. At my first defense, no one supported me, but all deserted me. Chapter 4.16, 4.11, only Luke was with him there in his imprisonment. He's an aged apostle. And he's worried about the infiltration of error coming into the churches. So there's Hymenaeus and Philetus, and they had gone astray from the truth. And they were um, teaching that the resurrection had already taken place. And that upset the faith of some. Other ungodly false teachers were coming in, and they were weighed down with sins. And so we know that... uh, They were turning from truth to myths. People were. This is where he's at. At the end of his ministry. Of all he had done. And when you read the book of Acts, you go, wow, look at what God did with Paul and the other apostles. And a lot of those guys left him. They just quit. They dropped like flies. What's going on? What's happening? Bishop Mool wrote this. Humanly speaking, he said this. Christianity trembled on the verge of annihilation at this time, as he wrote Second Timothy. That, that's a commentary out of Second Timothy. Now he's saying, humanly speaking, we know that God was never going to allow the church to be destroyed. That never has happened, even through the dark ages. The church has always been there, always will be. 
And that's what Paul's going to be writing about. Paul could have been saying, I've had enough. I'm in my 60s. It's time to retire. (laughs) I'm getting out of this. This is not worth it. He could have been bitter in his old age. All you guys who are getting old or are old, don't admit it. (laughs) Let's make a pact via the Word of God that we'll never become bitter like a lot of old people do. That we would never, ever become pessimistic. That we would not be discouraged old people overwhelming disappointments that have come in our life and setbacks and say, that's it. I give up. I can't take it anymore. And you say, yeah, but I felt like it. I'm sure you've probably said that many times in your mind never said it to anybody. And about two minutes later, everything has changed. <laughs> it's funny how the Holy Spirit or His Word can come in. Sometimes we just don't want to hear Him, huh? But we find Paul sprinting across the finish line. He's jogging back to Timothy and he's saying, come on, you can do it. Come on, Timothy. Don't stop. Don't quit. Come on, keep on going. Be strong. You can make it. You can do it. Man, whatever endurance he had, that's what we want. Right? We've got to endure this. This is not just a 5K I probably shouldn't have used the analogy of a marathon. Because that's really what this is. This is a marathon. It's a marathon that just keeps going and going and going. And the batteries don't run out. We just keep running. You know, this is the most difficult incarceration of Paul's life ever. And you've seen some terrible ones. You know, the 39 lashes and all that they did with him, the stocks and the bonds. He writes this last letter, and it's a swan song. This is it. These are his last words. We get to get in on his last words that he wrote, and your heart has to break. We've not faced anything like what Paul faced. We might be going through some things, but I want to tell you, it's nothing compared to Paul. So why why would God allow all this to happen? Well, it's amazing that God allowed him to go as far as 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 he went. Think about it. Nero's been wanting Paul all along anyway. Who's the, who's their leader? You know, it, when you hear that uh, we have an enemy, who's the first person that the United States goes after or used to go after? Well, they go after the ringleader of it all, right? And so, that's one guy they're definitely after. And, of course, they get a lot of others. But Timothy, by the grace of God, or uh, Paul, by the grace of God, kept on going through all of those imprisonments and beatings and being out into the deep for, you know, hours and hours and hours, days. And he's still there. It's by God's grace that he was able to go through all of that. I've finished the course. I've fought the fight. The good fight. I'm ready to offer up myself to you totally now. Just take my whole body. But Timothy, I want you to get this across to you. 
Timothy, you're the key to carrying on this work. Get up. Come on. Come on. You've got to carry this out. Boy, what the pressure is put onto him, huh? He's in Ephesus. He's been pastoring at the church in Ephesus. What a privilege it was to be there. Well, find out that a lot of things went on in Ephesus after Paul left. A lot of things went on while he was there, but Timothy's probably there three to five years. If you're looking in your outline, you're trying to find some of these key elements. I don't have them in there. Uh, it's just your introduction. This is an introduction. Usually, sometimes I say, "Who wrote this book? And why did he write this book? And you know, what what is all this about? Where well, we can get a handle?" Well, that's what we're doing. But we're doing it kind of in a story form. We're just going back because that's really what Paul's doing here. He's he's kind of giving a picture of his of his life here, and he's saying, "Okay, now Timothy." This is this is on you. Paul left him there in Ephesus, and um, matter of fact, in Ephesians four twelve, he says, "I have sent Tychicus to Ephesus." That means he wants Tychicus to stand in for Timothy, as Timothy is to come to Paul and to bring his cloak. It's really cold in there, and his parchments, his writings, and he wants to see Timothy really bad. For the last time, and so I, I prepared Tychicus to take care. Don't worry about that. He he can he can hold uh, the fort down there, and uh, he wants to be sure that Timothy carries on this work. He, that the baton is being passed off, and he he has to keep this thing going. I want to tell you, there've been a lot of Christians that have burned out in serving the Lord. Sometimes they burn out because there's criticism. There's conflict in the church. And so they get out. Some just drop out of church entirely. Others go to other churches. Others go to church once in a while now. They don't really get involved. They once were involved. Now they're not serving the Lord anymore because they don't want that anymore. They don't want to risk getting hurt again. So they're just quiet. Pop in every once in a while. And so therefore, that's what happens to a lot of people. Paul knows that. And that's reason that he wrote us, Second Timothy. He wrote it to Timothy, but it's also to us. As we go through this epistle, we're going to see it's a very personal letter. And... I'm sure that Timothy felt very inadequate for the ministry that is ahead. And well, should we all. Any kind of ministry that we have, whether it be at home, whether it be at work, whether it be meeting people, whatever it is, sometimes it uh, feels a little overwhelming. And... uh, Paul is getting ready to to give this to Timothy. He's to take on the mantle. Remember Elijah and Elisha? The mantle was passed to him. William Hendrickson talks about that. It looked as if Paul was about to be executed. The mantle would fall on Timothy. And I think that really sums up the dominant theme of this book. That's really what what we're hitting at. Um, Timothy, do not be ashamed, but by God's grace, exert yourself to the utmost. 
being willing to endure your share of hardship in preserving and promoting sound doctrine. That's what William Hendrickson wrote in his commentary. That kind of sums up this epistle. We can sum up each chapter as taking chapter 1 unashamed as a witness. Timothy, don't be unashamed. You're a witness. Guard the gospel. That's chapter 1. Chapter 2, don't be unashamed as a workman. I guess I really need to put that in a positive. I'm sorry. Do be unashamed, right? Be unashamed as a workman. I'm saying do not be unashamed. Do not be ashamed. (laughs) Sorry there. Unashamed as a workman. He says, be that way. Suffer in goodness for the gospel. That's chapter 2. Chapter 3, be adequate as a workman with the Word of God. That famous chapter 3, which is about the Word of God. Continue in the gospel. Chapter 4, you will be awarded as a workman. Keep preaching the gospel. God will take care of that reward. So we see a foundation here. A foundation for a lifetime in serving the Lord in in our own ministries. The foundation is laid, and I'm talking about biblical truth here, that every Christian is saved to serve. Every Christian is saved to minister according to the gift that has been given you. That's what Paul's talking to Timothy about. A firm foundation is laid in the first Five verses. And it rests on knowing God's call on your life through the gospel, being saved and in serving. He has a call to you. So here's how to motivate a spiritual son. This should motivate us, but also if we're discipling or working with people or other Christians or trying to edify them regardless of what place they're in or you're leading someone towards maturity, this is how you motivate them if they are believers or young believers or really going through a hard time. And it talks about, number one, a relationship with God. That's where it starts. And then a relationship with God's people. And then seeing that now we can serve through the power of God. Let's look at verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of life in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father, Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul, an apostle, by the will of God, Now, the word there, will of God, is what we want to focus on in a moment. And then we can take it back. This is that Paul we know about. He's an apostle. Paul introduces himself here. He has an introduction that carries a lot of weight. Apostles. Now, we're not apostles. We are sent out. To send away, to be sent out, that's what an apostle meant. But in the official office, we are not that. But we are sent out. The apostles did their job and gave us the Word of God. 
And now, you know, Paul had an authority there. That this is all the will of God. He didn't volunteer. And if you remember his story, he was doing quite the opposite, wasn't he? Paul, or Saul, so why are you persecuting me? He was persecuting the church, but at the same time, he was persecuting God. He was persecuting Christ. He hated Christ. He needed to know who Christ was. God called him. Knocked him off his horse. Blinded him. And so, Saul would later become Paul. And it wasn't by his will at all. It's by the philema. Philema. Will. Will of God. That means a deep desire. That philema. The will. God had a deep desire. When God has a deep desire, I will tell you that He is going to make sure that happens. I have a deep desire to do this, but I can't. Right? That's the way that we are. There's things that we'd really like to do, but I I just can't. I, I have to go to work. Paul's call to apostleship was by the very sovereign plan and purpose of God. And whatever God plans, He's not going to be thwarted at all. Yeah, the enemy runs in and tries to block God's purpose and plan, but do you know what? It never works. God just keeps cutting the channel through because He has a plan. His authority, Paul's authority, is in his office. He's apostle of Christ, God's will. He was sovereignly chosen by the very deep desire of God. It was not by human choice. His salvation was not by human choice. And his serving God now in the right way was not by human choice. Because he was dead in his sins like everybody else is. It's God. And that's what Paul wants to start this letter with. And this is God's choice. The reason we believe in Christ is that before the foundation of the world, God's will is that we would be saved. And when God has a will or a purpose, when He has a deep desire to save you in some time in your life, in time, space, and matter, He will come in and He will save you from your sins. Uh, Look in Acts 9.15. But the Lord said to him, that's Ananias, Saul's house, go for he is a chosen instrument of mine. He's a chosen instrument of mine. This is the Christ killer. This is the Christian killer. To bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and sons of Israel. By the way, I'll show him how much he has to suffer for my name's sake. But here's what he's going to do. He's going to go before the king. He's a chosen instrument. He's been chosen by God. A chosen vessel. And you'll see it in Acts 9. You'll see it in Acts 22, Acts 26, as he shares his testimony. The will of God. That next phrase you have to really like. According to the promise of life in Christ Jesus. He was chosen to give a message out. And his message... He's actually preaching the promise of eternal life. You can have eternal life. 
You can have eternal life. We know that eternal life really focuses on uh, John 17.3 where it says, And this is eternal life, that they may know You. That's eternal life. Knowing God. We've already started on that journey if we've trusted in Christ. You trusted in Christ? You're on the journey of knowing God. Isn't that great to know? And this says this uh, life is a promise. A promise of life. We have the greatest news. Folks, I start off with sound like it's bad news. And here it is. We have been the people chosen, and God's people all across the world have been chosen to tell people that there's a promise by God. We have a promise. Isn't that great? God is the promiser. The promise is as reliable and secure as sure as God is faithful. That's how good the promise is. We break our promises. You've heard of promise keepers? They're promise breakers. We're promise breakers, but God keeps the promises. We desire to keep the promises to God, but sometimes we break those. We can count on Him. Listen, we can count on it whenever we're put in our dungeons. Whenever it seems like we're facing a very unjust execution, whatever that may be. When former friends have abandoned you, former people that you love so much, it can be family, yeah, your children, it can be people in your fellowship, it can be people that you love so much and you can be deserted by them because remember that's what happened to Paul at the time that he needed them. Falsehoods, lies. People can be telling lies about us, but we have the promise of life. People do you wrong. Everything seems to be going wrong. Everything seems to be dropping from underneath your feet. And here you look at this one phrase, the promise of life. That's the most important thing. We can't put our faith in people, can we? But we can in this promise. And he says, in Christ Jesus. And that's that famous union of Christ. The purpose of my calling here is to preach the wonderful promise of eternal life provided in Christ Jesus. Life what? 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 What do you mean? I am the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus says. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that He who would believe in Him would have what? Everlasting life. Eternal life. Life. It's the gospel of life. Spiritual life. Eternal life. Life with God. That has already started. There's more to come. Let's look in Colossians chapter 3, verse 4. It gets better. It gets better. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with Him in glory. There, it's talking about Him coming back for the church. He is our life. Whenever He is revealed, whenever the curtains are torn back, then you will be revealed with Him in glory also. Man, we do have a positive news. We do have this promise of life to give to people who are dead. 
What a privilege. Let's go to number two. That's our personal relationship with God. Is that a, is that a good motivator? Doesn't that, isn't that where everything always starts? Let's go back there. Let's backpedal. Ooh. Oh, yeah, I forgot. I need to look at this. It's God. His, His promise. His promises. It's His will. He's always wanted this this way, and it will happen that way. I just have to trust. The second one is the gospel. Also brings us into a relationship with His people. There's no better people to hang out with than God's people. And the local fellowship is where that all starts, isn't it? Isn't that great? What kind of relationship did Paul have with other believers? Well, he says in verse 2, to Timothy, my beloved son. Now, he's not dad, and and, uh, Timothy is his boy, his son. But spiritually, he considers him to be a spiritual son. I said that to many uh, young people. Especially, you know, in this church, and people that you get to disciple or you get to worship with, you know, and and I say, hey, you know, you're my son, you know, spiritual son. I have I have my own sons I I love, you know. Zach's over there somewhere, yeah. <laughs> and he's my he's my spiritual son, but then I have other ones. And it's a privilege. And he feels for this Timothy. You know, Timothy's younger than him, and he knows um, what he goes through and what what he's dealing with. Just want you to know that you're my beloved son. There's an intimacy there. There, There's a love there. There, There's the bonding together in fellowship, isn't there? We have brothers and sisters. We could call it that way. Acts chapter 16. Paul's on missionary journey. Paul, I think two chapters earlier, I think it was in chapter 14, he had been on this uh, mission trip before. And verse 1, Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra, and a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer. His father was a Greek, and he was well spoken of by the brethren who were in Lystra and Iconium. And Paul wanted this man to go with him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those parts, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. So there, he picks him up there. Wow. Uh, that's, that's who he, uh, how he came into uh, close contact with him. And he had met his uh, mother, his grandmother, before on the other journey. And uh, since then, Timothy became a Christian. He had been reared up in what was right by his mother, but whenever she became saved, grandmother became saved, and they shared the gospel to Timothy, and, and that message came from Paul. So, hey, that's just as that's just as good as a spiritual uh, father there. And he uh, here's something that we wish on all people. Um, you have a prayer for somebody? Grace, mercy, and peace. From God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. He has an unselfish concern. He wants a grace. Grace is, is undeserved favor, isn't it? It's God's undeserved love. We did nothing to deserve it. God's undeserved forgiveness. Mercy is undeserved compassion. 
by freeing sinners from their guilt and their sin, their misery that they're in, that sin has created. So when you think of mercy, you think of misery. Peace. It's the heart tranquility that grace and mercy cause. Now you have peace with God. You're now reconciled with God. What do I wish for you, Timothy? The best that God can give. Grace, mercy, and peace. Not only saving grace, but a keeping grace, an empowering grace, a serving grace. Every kind of grace you think you ever need. Every time you wake up in the morning, do you realize that you need grace today? Mercy is... Relief from any kind of misery that could be happening. And of course, the peace. Having that peace in his heart and more and more peace. He is for the best interest of Timothy that he could be. You want to motivate somebody? You want to motivate a disciple? You want to motivate a person building up their faith and edifying them? The most important thing is that they would be prayed for and that they would have spiritual blessings. Grace, mercy, and peace. Now we go to the third one. This is the last part. The Gospel brings us into service according to God's will. You have a relationship with God. You have a relationship with His people. As a result of that, you want to serve. And that's a motivator, isn't it? Verse 3, I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience. The way my forefathers did, hmm, as I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day, longing to see you even as I recall your tears so that I may be filled with joy. For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am sure that it's in you as well. Wow. This opening greeting just oozes with Paul's deepest longings that he has for Timothy. And he's called him my beloved son. Now, you know, he's incarcerated this time, Paul is, and it's in a dark, filthy, stinking dungeon, and it's crowded with criminals. He's facing this unjust execution. He's thinking about his beloved son, Timothy, as he's going through this. Sweet memories. You don't see him complaining. You don't see him being bitter. He's not angry. Boy, you want to motivate somebody? That's a, that's a way, isn't it? Not being bitter, but even saying, Timothy, I appreciate you. I thank God. He's not necessarily thanking Timothy. What is he saying? I thank God for you. Timothy, I really appreciate you and I thank God. Thank God for all that He's done in you. He says, I thank God whom I serve. The word for serve there is latruo. And it means serve, but even more literal, it means to worship and I love this Greek word. Latruo was actually used uh, was used in the Old Testament uh, in that sense in a uh, temple worship. Well, a lot of people say the most important thing for the church is to serve. 
is to evangelize and then to worship. Oh. I'm just trembling when I hear somebody say that. My, the church that I came from, that's what it always taught. Evangelism first and then worship is second. They got it all backwards. You always start with God. You always start with worship. Serving is worship, as a matter of fact. You don't even have to separate them. You see, when we worship God, then we really shouldn't have a problem with then serving because it's still worshiping God. You worship God individually, then we come together corporately and worship God. That's what we're doing today. And as we you know, hear the Word and such, and that's worship. But we serve Him too in this sense. But when we go out of here, when we serve Him, or when we give the Gospel to somebody, or when we edify somebody, or when we just do something, we're not even trying to, hey, I'm going to serve God today. We just do what we do with our gift. And, you know, it may seem very mundane. It doesn't even maybe even seem like you're doing anything spiritual. When, matter of fact, if you're helping somebody and you know that the Lord is the one who strengthens you, then it's Him doing You know, You're serving. You're worshiping God by serving. So that's why that word latruo is used here. It's not slaving at this time. It's, it's saying, I thank God whom I serve or worship as I minister with a clear conscience. I'm in jail but I know I haven't done anything that was deserving of this. I know that what I've done has been in the will of God. I have no bad conscience here that is really driving me insane. There, you know, there's some things here that's not right. He has a clear conscience. Uh, the word clear there could be clean. doesn't mean he's perfect, but it does mean that he confesses a sin before the Lord and that he is desiring the very will of God. He's walking in reality with God. So, he says, I continually worship through my service with a clear or clean conscience. I don't have anything that I'm, I feel guilty about. That's good, isn't it? Isn't it great when you know you have a clean conscience? The way my forefathers did. It's funny you put that in there and say, well, why is that? Well, I, I first think of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And also I have to think of the uh, tradition that he came from. The, the legacy that was left with him, at least as far as people living uh, a godly life. Or you could say maybe the other apostles. But what it comes down to is all the people that were before him that were godly, uh, he remembers them here. And uh, he has this this heritage. So he's in this dungeon and he's thanking God who he faithfully served as an act of worship like his forefathers. Children... You have parents who taught you the Word of God? Who taught about God? I say to you, you have a great legacy. And if it goes back to your grandparents and on back, but if you had somebody that was least faithful around that prayed for you and 
showed you the Christian life and uh, taught you that, then you have forefathers. You have that legacy. Listen to them. They've been through some things that God has put them through. Listen because they can help you. Listen to godly counsel. Listen to godly counsel from others that are in the church that are well-respected, that are true in the Word of God. When, when you go against counsel of your parents who desire to follow God, you go against counsel of the elders and people in the church who care, and you go against that, you will reap discipline. And Paul said, I am thankful that I have nothing that's a bad conscience and I want to hold on to what I've been taught from whom God gave me. And I want to follow what they taught me, my forefathers. Do we see that? That's how it works. We go against that grain and it becomes ugly. Take heed, right? He says, I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day. Always. Every moment I'm thinking and I'm praying for you. You know, appreciation really motivates the heart, doesn't it? It is really nice. I challenge all of you to go up to some people today at the end of worship and just say, I really do appreciate you. Put it in your own words. I thank the Lord for you and what you do, what you mean in, in my life. I'm telling you, it's amazing. And you don't have to do it today because you say, oh, well, I did that because Dennis said to do that. <laughs> so, you know, just, but what I'm saying is that really and truly, we need to hear that, folks. We need encouragement from people, especially sometimes when we've really had a real battle. We need somebody to help us out, lift us up. And uh, Paul, who is in jail, is doing this for Timothy. I'm pleading for you. Do you know how compelling that is on the heart of a young man like Timothy? I'm pleading for you. Oh, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. It sure did here. That comes right out of James 5, right? Do you want to influence someone for Christ? You want to motivate someone's heart in great ways? Be praying to God. Be thanking them, thanking Him for them. Prayers night and day. Oh, the the affection that's there. A strong desire He has here. Uh, constantly remember you in my prayers night and day. Longing to see you. Yearning, Timothy. I miss you. I miss you, Timothy. Even as I recall your tears. Yeah, last time that he'd seen him, it might have been the last time going through Timothy's mind. Who knows? And so as they parted from each other, Paul was so close to Timothy, Timothy so close to Paul, and Timothy just broke out in tears. I recall your tears, tears of joy. Let them people know how deeply you love them. That's inspiring, isn't it? Isn't it motivating? The compulsion there of love, it's really pretty amazing. Acts 20, verse 37.
going to his way to Jerusalem, had to stop in Miletus, had the Ephesian elders come because he knew if he went, this is where we had been in, in Acts lately, but if he went to Ephesus, he'd never get out of there on time. He had to go to Jerusalem. He had a schedule. And so he knows that, hey, listen, just get the elders here and I'll meet with them. And then he gave them a message and then he says in verse 37, and they began to weep aloud and embraced Paul and repeatedly kissed him. The affection that's there, tears, joy. What a special fellowship it is to be amongst God's people, isn't it? Affirmation is involved here. Uh, long to see you, even as I recall your tears, so that I may be filled with joy. For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you. The sincere faith. The word is anahupakrito. And you can... Hypocrite, right? Hypocrite. Hypocrite. That's one who acts it out. Well, this is uh, the opposite. Uh, it is being genuine, having a true, genuine, real, saving faith. It's not only that, it's a rich faith. It's a faith that comes through the grandmother and the mother, Lois and Eunice. I actually had two aunts with those names. When Carolyn first started learning all my extended family, my mom came from a family of 15, and they had some strange names. They came from around Bromley, around the Lake of the Ozarks. And, of course, they call themselves hillbillies there. But they had some names back then. They were born in the 20s, 30s, and such. Um, Carolyn said, what? what's that name? <laughs> Eunice. Look, I should have said, oh, what's in the Bible? <laughs> Didn't think about that. Genuine faith, real faith, no hypocrisy, no phoniness about Timothy at all because he had been taught by his grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice, and he was led. Uh, they were led to Christ by Paul and Barnabas in Acts 14. Whenever they went to Galatia, and he gave them the gospel there, and you know that they passed it on to Timothy. And whenever Paul runs into Timothy, he sees he's solid, and he's ready to go on to ministry now, being the young man that he was. And of course, God used him in a lot of different ways. Um, so. Uh, you know, they, they definitely knew the Old Testament and then Paul comes in and play, explains the Gospel. They were believers through the ministry of Paul. And they led this young man to, to Christ. And that's why he's, in a sense, the child of Paul's preaching, yet through his mother and grandmother. Genuine faith. Well, listen. The Gospel should motivate us in the fact that we have a personal relationship with God the Father. And His Son, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit lives in us. It also brings us, because of that, to a close, intimate relationship with God's people. That's pretty motivating, isn't it? And when you have that, now you can put into practice this serving, this worship serving is what it is, Latruo. That's the impact that now we can make and influence people with this truth, this promise of life in Christ Jesus. Of course, as we go out of here later today in a a little bit, we will um, go out of these doors 
going outside to people who need this truth, the promise of life. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word today. Thank You for this truth. May it truly make an impact on us. May it be uh, encouraging to all of us in seeing what our relationship is with You and others and as we serve uh, others. We serve You. We worship You by serving people. Help us to be more servants every week and to really, really shine for Your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.